What do you think about when you think about soybeans? Ugh, tofu? Well, after today, you're going to think about fire retardant. All right. Hello, and welcome to Science Brunch. I'm Katie McKissick, a.k.a. Beatrice the Biologist. I'm here with my best friend, May Prince. Hello. And today, we're going to talk about Percy Julian. Yes? I don't know who that is. Okay, cool. This is going to be fun. <laughs> Yay! But before that, what we always do is start with sciencey, newsy things for the appetizer to our brunch. Yes, because brunch needs appetizers. Yeah, you can't just just go in there and just get an entree. Yeah, you have to have something first. Got to get your booze, your coffee, yes, your water, and the appetizer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So today, I, I was inspired by our recent episode on Carl Linnaeus. Oh, okay. Who named or wanted to name everything? Yes. Um. He's so very cheeky. I found a couple examples that I really liked in recent news oh, cool. um, of people naming stuff. So one of them is like this streak of light that amateur astronomers found. I think they were up in Canada and they noticed it. It was only showing up really like when they photographed it, not when you just like look, you know, with your bare eyes at the so sky. So it's like a ghost. <laughs> Kind of, kind of. And, and they thought it was, you know, some kind of aurora or like a proton something. Um, but it turns out they don't know what it is yet. And what? they reached out to some academics to be like, hey, we have pictures of this thing. We can't figure out what it is. And for lack of anything else to call it, they decided to call it Steve. Stop it. <laughs> so they oh refer to it as Steve. <laughs> Oh my god. Which cracks me up. That's amazing. <laughs> but it made me uh so happy because they're like, you know, they don't know what it is and they're going to publish a study to like explain it. Right. But I really hope that in the academic journal they refer to it as Steve. As Steve. And if they end up naming a new phenomenon. The Stevian yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. And I think it was just like it was just kind of a, a an offhand way to refer to it as kind of a friendly presence, yeah. you know. Man, I did not hear about this. How that is bizarre. <laughs> How strange. Oh god, I love it. I love it. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, let's see, the the group was called the Alberta Aurora Chasers. So they're just like a group of amateurs out there, like cool. studying this guy in their own time, and and they found this thing. And I think they started posting pictures on like social media, and like some academics started noticing and being like, oh. We thought it was this one thing, but no, it, it's not behaving correctly. So they, yeah, astronomy they found is cool. I feel like it's the the last branch of science where you can actually contribute a fair bit if you're just an amateur astronomer. Yeah, you don't have to have access to you know the biggest equipment. I mean, obviously there are some things you need to do that, but even even that stuff sometimes they just make it publicly available and they need eyes to look through stuff and just with your own telescope you can discover things. I mean, it's just it's crazy. It's so yeah. cool. I'm jealous. And the guy who. Came... <laughs> The guy who came up with the name, um, he said he's he's a little embarrassed about how the name came about. So I'm reading from uh, the, there was an article in the New York Times, and it said the idea came from a scene in the 2006 animated movie Over the Hedge, in which a group of forest animals are confronted with a sudden appearance of a towering row of shrubs, and. <laughs> The quote is, I would be a lot less afraid of it if I just knew what it was called, said a computer-generated porcupine. A red squirrel pipes up, let's call it Steve. It's a pretty name. <laughs> so they call it Steve. That's why. <laughs> oh, my God. That's awesome. 
Yeah. So I really enjoyed that. I thought it was... As a person whose brain is half movie quotes, I really appreciate that. Exactly. Exactly. And I had not seen that movie, but now it kind of makes me want to see it. Yeah. Um, And then I have a second example of an inspired naming choice, which I think Carl would really approve of because it's actually like a genus species like thing. So apparently they found this... uh, uh, I'm going to totally mispronounce this ankylosaur okay it's it's a type of, of dinosaur i don't know my source so it's cool from the late cretaceous mm-hmm. okay yeah so they found uh, uh this new species of dinosaur and it's like a great example because it actually has some tissue that was retained and they like oh, this the shape of the head yeah, and everything yeah, yeah. and the person who found it they had this name in mind for a long time and they ended up naming it Zul Kruvastator after Zul from Ghostbusters. Yes, indeed. Because it actually kind of looks like the the Zul mm-hmm. creature, not Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. No, like yeah, those <laughs> the other those version. Very, they're kind of like a cross between a gorilla and a dog, and that's what I always thought growing yeah. up. Yeah, because they have these really big shoulders, so they kind of have this gorilla look, but they're on all four feet, and they yeah, and they just have kind of like a like a pit bull or something, kind of like just big head. Yeah, and they said this this dinosaur is short snouted. And its name translates to Destroyer of Shins. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, if you're going to destroy something and you're low to the ground. But yeah, I saw a picture of that fossil. It it was found in oil sands or something. I mean, the preservation is so bizarre. I mean, you really can see its face. Yeah. And it's, you know, has like a a club tail with spikes. Like it's one of those things. Very spiky, yeah. So I don't know. I just, I liked that they were holding on to this name for a while and hoping to name something after Zool, and then they finally seize their chance. Mm, we found Zool, The perfect everybody. specimen. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so nerds naming things Yay. is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Good job. Yeah, so I enjoyed that, and I thought you would too, because you're a huge Ghostbusters fan. Uh, I am. This is Speaking of movie quotes. Very true. <laughs> I probably could just sit down and have a one-woman show where I just recite the movie. <laughs> Maybe we can do that for an episode and like forget to research them. Oh, I've seen the movie so many times. It's insane. But yeah, so so tell me about, is it Percy? Mm-hmm. I love that his name is Percy, I know. first off. Yeah, it's we very haven't old-timey. Had a Percy yet. Yes, yeah. Percy. Um, so Percy's pretty cool. And uh, we will get into some very serious systemic barriers that he had to overcome. So, okay. But I'm not going to make this a downer because he's really cool. Everything worked out. Okay. And he's awesome. So here we go. He was born in 1899 mm-hmm. in Montgomery, Alabama. Ooh, yeah. okay. Fun fact, that's where my mom was randomly born because my really? grandfather was in the Air Force. Uh, so she's a New Yorker whose birth certificate says Alabama. And it's like, wait, what? Huh. Well, and the Air Force wasn't around back then. 1899. Oh, yeah, no, no. Not, she, my mom was not born in 1899. So <laughs> this is not Percy's so, reason yeah, no, for being born no. there. No. So he, yeah, 1899. Turn of the century, uh, born in Alabama, grandparents were slaves, mm-hmm. and uh, but his parents were were fairly well educated, um, considering that they were African American at this time period. Yeah, and so he um, most definitely went to school. He went to elementary school at that time. They were still segregated. Mm-hmm. There was no um, black high school at the time that he could go to, so he went to a teacher training school. 
that was still segregated. But so he basically wound up getting a 10th or so grade education. And then his teacher said, hey, I have connections at DePaul University in Indiana. Hmm. You should go. Like, wow. You should totally go. And and I thought this was so poetic. So that's, that teacher um, taught his dad when Percy's dad was in school and he did the same thing for his dad. He said, Hey, you should really should go to, you should continue your education. I can get you in at DePauw. And his dad, uh, was like, Oh no, I don't think I can go. I, you know, I really should stay here, whatever. For mm-hmm. all his reasons, he said, no, nah, I'm, I'm cool. Um, and then, yeah. And then when Percy came through, the same teacher was like you, so you're going to go to DePaul. <laughs> like, I'm going to send someone from this family you. to DePaul University. <laughs> so he went, which is, you know, quite a ways away. Yeah, but he, yeah. he went and, um, I mean, really cool. I mean, there were still some issues there. But yeah, he, he and all of his siblings wound up going to DePaul. Wow. Because they were actually, you know, had a commitment to diversity um, hmm. and, you know, had black students go in, which was, I mean, it was a mostly, oh, yeah, no. it was a mostly a white school, liberal arts college, but, but yeah, he went and, and this, this just blows my mind. His, he has this memory when he was, um, uh, you know, getting on the train to mm-hmm. go off to school, his whole family is on the, on the stand there so waving goodbye to him and his grandfather who had been a slave, you know, waved goodbye with two fingers missing from his hand because they were cut off as punishment for his grandfather teaching himself to read. Oh my God. So it was like, whoa, so (sighs) such a serious kind of symbolic moment, like waving goodbye to your grandson going to college and you're missing fingers for just learning to read. Wow. And then, um, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And, um, Percy said on his first day in college, you know, he remembers walking in and a a white student stuck out his hand and said, Hey, how are you? Welcome to Mm -hmm. shake hands with him. And it was the first time that he'd shaken hands with a white person because people in Alabama weren't doing that so much. (laughs) Right. And he said he didn't even know if he should shake it or not. It was just like, so such an alien experience. Yeah. He graduated. So in 1920, he graduated first in his class totally knocked it out of the park, even though, because when he first got there, having just a 10th grade education, he actually had to take some remedial courses at a, a, a like a local, essentially like a community college right. kind of backfill a little bit. But yeah, graduated first, uh, with the degree in chemistry hmm. and, um, easy subject chemistry. Oh yeah. <laughs> whatever. <Jeez laughs> you really slacked off. <laughs> um, and then he taught chemistry at um, Fisk University for a few years, and then he got a fellowship to do graduate work, and he was the first African-American to earn a master's degree in chemistry from Harvard. What year was this? So, he, so 1923 was when he got wow. his master's. And he wanted to continue there and get his PhD. Mm-hmm. I mean, when that's how some programs do it. Like you right. kind of, yeah, you get a master's on the way. Sometimes you don't. It's not a big deal. But um, he was going to, but he couldn't get a, t- a teaching assistantship because that was kind of like a, when you're getting a PhD, you either get a teaching assistantship or a research assistantship. Mm-hmm. And that's how, what kind of pays the way for you to go. Because gotcha. if you're doing a PhD in science, you're not paying tuition the same way you do as an undergrad. So he needed to get a teaching assistantship, but mm-hmm. they had an issue with a black teacher teaching assistant because he would have been, you know, mm. TA in classes for white undergraduates. And that just, so they're like, yeah, you can get a master's degree, but we're not going to have you teach the, the undergraduates. <laughs> That's silly. <sighs> so yeah, so it was just ugh, like ridiculous. So, so he left with his master's and then he headed up the chemistry department at Howard University, mm-hmm. which I believe is in DC. Yep. Yeah. So, so he wound up there teaching, teaching for a while. 
And then... And that's he, a historically black college. Right. Yeah. And then um, still wanted to get his PhD, though, so he got a Rockefeller Foundation grant mm. and went to Austria to get his PhD. Wow. Yeah. So it was like just... Yeah, because there were just so many barriers here, he went there. Wow. He had to go to Austria... Yeah, he had to leave. He had to go to Austria. More progressive. I know. Austria really went down the tubes in the next (laughs) 20 years, though, after that. Yeah, so the University of Vienna. And then he he really liked it over there because at that time, I mean, I don't know, there was just a lot less racism. So he was really got to kind of participate in Hmm. society, and no one was like, what are you doing here? The same way that so often he was treated in the U.S. So, well, they made up for lost time later. I don't know why. I, honestly, I'm like, why didn't you just stay there? But you know, but he came yeah. back, and then he returned to teach at DePauw, where he got his undergrad degree. Gotcha. So that was kind of nice. And so while he was there, he got really into uh, the chemistry of plants, so botany and all of the kind of interesting chemicals that they make, hmm. which is like we were talking about, like with Carl, like he went out and was looking for plants because at the time it was a big part of medicine. The practice of medicine was learning what medicinal plant, you know, what medicinal properties, properties, yeah, plants had. So, so it's just kind of interesting that it's like, we're still doing, so it's 1935. Hmm. He, um, synthesized a chemical called physostigmine from the calabar bean. I've never even heard of a calabar bean. Hmm. But um, but what that drug is, is a really great way to treat glaucoma. Really? So he synthesized this, and it was a really big deal. I mean, much later, so in 1999, mm-hmm. uh, it was the American Chemical Society recognized this particular work as a national historical chemical landmark. Hmm. So it's like one of the top 25 accomplishments in American chemical history. Wow. It was a really, really big deal. But even though he did that, which was a huge deal, <laughs> DePas still wouldn't make him a permanent member of the faculty. Because they kind of gave him this thing about like, oh, it's not the right time. Because they, even though they admitted him as a student, mm-hmm. and even though he was already doing really well, I mean, synthesizing this drug that was it was so useful yeah. and so profitable, everything. They were like, yeah, we're still kind of uncomfortable but with the black, black professor. Yeah. So oh, God. Yeah. So they kind of gave him this, this, you know, the runaround, and he was like, okay, you know, forget it. I'm just going to go into into industry. So he started applying for jobs in industry along with his. I don't want to sidekick, basically, this, this other dude that, hmm. that he worked with to synthesize that drug. Um, so they start applying for jobs out in industry. DuPont offers a job to his partner. But then when they like met Julian, they were like, oh, you're black? Like, we were not aware of that. So we're not going to give you the offer. We're only going to give the offer to your partner. We're not going to offer it to you. Because And they truly, they actually said that. They said that they were interested, but that they were, quote unquote, unaware he was black. They actually, so they was... actually worded it differently, and I don't even want to say that word. Oh, God. <laughs> so this was around, like, 1930 1935, yeah. Then he wound up getting a job offer from a chemical company in Wisconsin, but then he was kind of looking up the, the local laws mm-hmm. in that state, and there was one about how black people cannot get, like, hotel rooms in that city or something like they're actually not allowed to be there and he was like yeah i think i shouldn't go to that town then so he wound up in 1936 at the uh, glidden company okay so and this is where he did something really cool he synthesized from plants progesterone and testosterone on an industrial scale for the first time because 
that was that hadn't really been done before. I mean, we knew what those were. Yeah. So yeah. those are you know two chemicals that make human beings you know masculine and feminine yeah, and everything. Hormones. They do a lot of yeah these hormones that um, are really important. And progesterone is a really big one because that is one of the very important ingredients in birth control. Yeah. So he essentially laid the groundwork for producing birth control on an industrial scale thanks percy thank you so much yeah i mean and the the background on that is that progesterone is the hormone um if it's just progesterone that's called the mini pill which Mm -hmm. is something that you're often prescribed if you want to be on birth control but you're still breastfeeding because you don't want to get estrogen because that can mess with your supply Uh. progesterone does not so there's a progesterone only birth control pill but it's not it's not as effective because you have to seriously take it at the exact same time every single day for it to be moderately effective because it's not actually yeah. stopping you from ovulating. It does sometimes, but it's mostly just kind of affecting the lining of the uterus. Yeah, I think I have a, a brother because of this, <laughs> the mini pill. <laughs> yeah, it's not the most effective thing. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, but you, a lot of women take it while they're breastfeeding. And then, yeah, the the pill, the you know, the pill that everybody's familiar with that yeah. stops you from ovulating, so you don't have to. You really, I mean, if you're taking it every day around the same time, you're you're pretty. It's almost 100% effective. It's ridiculous. Hmm. That has estrogen in it too, so yeah. it's a combination pill. But anyway, and then the other thing that he did that was a super big deal too was that he synthesized cortisone, hmm. and that is something I've taken in a like a lotion form for eczema. Mm-hmm. And it's also something that you might need to take, not in a lotion, but in a pill if or injection for things like rheumatoid arthritis because yeah. it tamps down the immune system. Yeah. And before he synthesized it, it was an incredibly expensive drug because hmm. they were trying to find different, you know, the other source for it. But the way that he did it, seriously, it was a fraction of the cost. Hmm. Yeah, it was, um, it reduced the price from hundreds of dollars for a drop to a few cents per gram. Wow. I mean, it was a huge difference. So he's... Yeah. He's got a huge role in modern medicine. Then. Yeah. No, t- completely. I and mean, yeah. this is this is really, really big stuff. And um, and yeah, the way that he, you know, came up with uh, the ways to do this was that there was a water leak um, into a giant tank of soybean oil. Because again, he's working with plants and right. trying to figure out stuff he can get from them. And he saw crystals of a steroid called uh, stigmasterol. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh wait a minute, how did that happen? So then he just kind of started toying around with it. And he's like, oh, if, I, if we can make that steroid, maybe we can make you know testosterone and maybe we can make progesterone because they're all kind of in the same family. Hmm. So uh, so yeah, so anyway, just, just bananas. I love that scientific discovery in general is like, wait, I spilled what? something <laughs> and then it did something and hmm... Why Sounds did that happen? Cool. And and also from soybean, from a soybean protein, he extracted this substance that turned out to be a really good fire retardant, hmm. and it's it's now called aerofoam. Okay, and it's something that they use a lot in World War II, and and arguably saved thousands of lives because it's something that they could spray on ships that had been bombed, basically. Gotcha. So, yeah humongous things like he's all guy. over the place yeah too. it's like oh my god so and that was so the aerofoam was 1942 so he's 43 years old it's like dude it's amazing um and right in time for world war ii yeah i know god, world very time we're not really gonna talk about it though so yay <laughs> <laughs> he was out of austria at that point so it's fine i know oh my god <laughs> i just no guy dodged a bullet i know yeah i know <sighs> just just amazing 
um, per, so personal life um, mm-hmm. at this time. So uh, back actually when he got his his PhD was around the same time that he married. Okay. And there was a little bit of some messiness. So he, he met his wife uh, when he was at Howard University when mm-hmm. he was teaching there. And there was, I don't know, rumors that they were having an affair. She was married to someone else at the college. So they wound up together and they got married. But apparently that's also why he left Howard was because it was like, yeah, can you mm. No, I don't know if he was... I've read at one point that he was fired, but it's like, okay, well, maybe he was just like, let's leave now. Yeah. <laughs> let's get out of here. Hmm. Um, anyway, so uh, in 1950, he was named the Chicagoan of the year. Really? Which is pretty cool. And then... Uh, Wait, was, was he living in Chicago? Yeah, or were they yeah, just like, was. let's claim him? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, but then after that, he moved to Oak Park, Illinois, because mm-hmm. at this point he has two kids and just, you know... That's yeah, like a suburb of Chicago. Yeah, a different lifestyle. But uh, his family's home was firebombed because it was a mostly white neighborhood. Oh. So... Yeah. Um, and then kind of same thing. So the, so his job at the chemical company, uh, you know, wanted to move up, but was kind of just running into more barriers mm-hmm. because even though he was doing such amazing things, it was still like, well, but you're still not white. But you're still so black. So, eh. so he kind of said to heck with all of this. So no one could get their lives together enough to like hire this genius guy. I know. So dumb. So he just started his own company. Which I think is really cool. Julian That's Laboratories started in 1953, and he seriously sold it less than 10 years later for 2.3 million dollars. Holy crap! Because they just kept on synthesizing things and patenting chemicals and patenting just they, they had, And this was like the 40s. This is the 50s now. So I mean, yeah, post-war. I mean, yeah, things. Seriously, that's a lot of money. Because they were guys. selling houses for like 30 grand, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Good job, Percy. Yeah, seriously. So had over 130 different patents and again, just, you know, using plants, synthesizing, you know, really amazing drugs from them that, that people can use for, you know, that are cheap. It's just, it's just amazing. Yeah. So he sells it in 1961 so that he can basically kind of devote all of his time to the civil rights movement. Okay. Yeah. And, and along, and along the whole way, he was always mentoring other, you know, other black students because he really wanted to give back. I mean, he was not someone who was kicking down the ladder, you know, behind him or anything. He was all about giving back. Just, just such, such a cool guy. Like I'm, I don't know, as I was reading about him and again, like all the barriers, like, Oh, teach here. And then they, they fire me or I you know wanted to go here and they're like, yeah, but you're black. And like, Oh, we're, let's offer you a job. Oh, let's rescind the job offer. It's like, I mean, oh that's God. like the whole uh, the whole reason Mary Agnes Chase, who we talked about last yeah. episode, got into mentoring women and minorities because she's like, this sucks. I want to keep yeah. going in my career and people yeah. keep telling me no. Yeah. I don't know how rare it is for someone who goes through all of that to like really reach out and help other people. I think for some people, they manage to make it through, but then mm-hmm. they just go into their shell and they're like, I'm well, it exhausted. it takes a lot of energy and time. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that's another issue going on it's like you know helping other people takes mm-hmm. time away from your work as mm-hmm. well so it diminishes your own accomplishments but yeah. yeah it's it's hard it's very hard yeah so we spent pretty much the last two decades of his life um you know working with civil rights groups to fight discrimination he was elected to the national academy of sciences in 1973 which is pretty cool because mm. i mean those things i don't know like i've 
back when I worked in like the university communications, it was like a big deal. Like, Oh, someone got into the, the Academy of whatever engineers or science. And it's, I don't know. It's really a big deal for that person as just reading it. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. But it actually, it's a very big deal to be recognized by your peers because science is all about your peers and what they're doing and how people kind of look at your work. And if they, I don't know. I mean, because it's all peer review. I mean, that's the whole thing about science that everybody's trying to prove each other wrong. And so how other people perceive your work unfortunately matters a great deal whether however you look at it Mm -hmm. because i mean we're always thinking like oh don't worry about what other people think about you but in science you actually do have to worry about what other people think about you they actually understand what you're doing which is not always the case for the general public yeah you know and science is does not have the greatest track record as we have discussed multiple times right for being totally open-minded about the contributions of people that are not white dudes Mm -hmm. so yes it was actually a very big deal for him to to make it the National Academy of Sciences. And uh, yeah, two years later, he he died of liver cancer. Oh. I hope that wasn't related to any work that he did, but you know, who knows? Everybody gets cancer. So the whole Marie Curie <laughs> yeah, situation. Yeah, it, it could be completely unrelated. Yeah. Um, um, and then I I was thought it was really cool. In 1993, the uh, U.S. Postal Service had a, made a stamp in his honor. Nice. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about the you know, epitome of a black scientist in America. Mm-hmm. That's, this is him. Wow. He did so much, gave so much back. And I mean, ac- you know, accomplished things scientifically, accomplished things entrepreneurially, you know, with his own business and selling it for so much. I mean, he was, I think he was the first black millionaire in the country. So crazy. So yeah, I mean, it's just amazing. Percy. We should put him on money. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Well, oh yeah, we're talking about when I talk about Carl, how he was on one of the yeah, notes. Yeah. Why don't we have scientists on our I don't monies? know. We have, I mean, this guy's like the perfect candidate mm-hmm. because he was a, an industry titan. He, you know, was a scientist. He mm-hmm. contributed so much to modern medicine and modern. Yeah, I, l- I love that he not only was like was doing like synthesizing progesterone that could be used for hormone replacement therapy yeah. and eventually and you know and and birth control pills. We all, but also aerofoam. It's like I'm gonna stop you from lighting on fire. Yeah. And stop you from getting pregnant. You're welcome. Everyone has a dog in this fight. Yeah. It's like, like he pleases everyone. Do you like being not on a fire? <laughs> I do. And not pregnant all the time. <laughs> and not in Do pain. you like controlling birth? <laughs> I do. I do. Oh, man. The birth control pill is the best thing ever. It, it truly is. You know, every once in a while, we, we, I don't know, I think about like, what is the greatest invention ever? I usually settle on cheese because I'm hungry at the time. But, you know, birth control. Close second. Yeah. Air conditioning is up there, too. Oh, yeah. Mm. But birth control. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's really amazing. And it has been around for not that long yeah i mean that's what's so funny is that he you know so he synthesized it in the 50s yeah but it was a couple more decades before it became really easily available right i mean you i think at those times when it first came out it was like you have to get your husband's permission exactly you had to be married mm -hmm. and you had to get your husband's permission Mm -hmm. crazy pants Mm -hmm. that was not that long ago Talk no, to your I mother. Hear, so your mother remembers this. I hear that if you actually want to get your tubes tied or get a vasectomy, you you they still some doctors yep. will actually require the signature of your spouse. Yep. In both directions, I believe. I think even if like men who want to get vasectomies, although those are reversibles, maybe it doesn't happen as often. They're like, no, I, I need to have your wife in here. <laughs> 
At least I hope that's what they do. If they're going to do it to women for the tubes tied thing. That really like, freaks me out. Um, and like, yeah, and, and, and young women who have decided, you know, I don't ever want children. I want to have my tubes tied. Yeah, I want to they be won't sterilized. Do it. They won't do they it. They won't do it. It's so weird. They won't do it until you hit like, I don't know, your mid thirties at least. So strange. It's so strange. I mean, are they worried about being sued? I mean, if you sign all the paperwork, what do they care? I really don't know. It's just one of those things. I don't understand sometimes why we care so much about other people. I mean, if you change your mind, you change your mind, but you still have to take responsibility for whatever decision you made yeah, before. I mean, it's what, not like any other decision in your life. Yeah, I, I, I just don't understand why the doctor would care. If the person no, signs, signs something, like what? That you told them, like, this is irreversible, you know? Yeah. Although, remember that show, I Didn't Know I Was Pregnant? That was on TLC for a while. I mean, I never, I never actually saw it, oh but I've, I've, I've heard tell. I watched an episode and it was mind blowing. <laughs> um, I know, I know someone who actually picked the costumes for the reenactments that they did, <laughs> and he was telling me that he was like, "You have no idea how many stories they turned down. They, they were flooded with people." you know, saying, oh, here's my story of how I didn't know I was pregnant until, you know, super, super far in. But this one woman, I actually, it was actually very understandable. She was 40-ish, I forget her exact Uh age, but she had an 18-year-old who was about to go off to college. So she was all like, I'm going to be an empty nester. It's so cool. And and then she, her period stopped and she was like, oh, cool, menopause. Like, what up? And then uh, a couple months later, she, she had just started a new job. So when she started gaining a little bit of weight, she was like, oh man, I'm just so stressed out. I'm not eating right because I started this new job mm-hmm. and I'm so busy. And uh, um, so that didn't tip anything off. And then we started getting, you know, significant amounts of weight. She thought that maybe she was getting sick, like maybe she had cancer or something. Right. So she was so worried. And again, she's really stressed out. She has this new job and she's getting ready to get her kid off to college. She was like, I'll deal with it when, when he goes to college and I'll go to the doctor then. Like, mm-hmm. I can't deal with this right now. So yeah, so she just didn't do anything and just like didn't didn't tell her family that anything that was happening because they didn't she didn't want to worry anybody and then yeah then she goes into labor oh and she goes God. to the hospital and they're like yeah you have a, you have, and she had her tubes tied <gasps> i forgot to mention that at the beginning oh, sorry God. she'd had her tubes tied so they're like so when when all those things happened being pregnant was the last thing on her mind which is why she was explaining it away it's like oh menopause it could happen this age so who cares and oh i can't be pregnant it must be i must have cancer i mean she went to straight she went to cancer instead of pregnancy yeah. But um, but yeah, apparently there is a you know pretty small chance, but not absurd. Like one in a couple, of, like tens of thousands, like right. one in ten thousand, or maybe you know maybe one in twenty thousand chance that the egg will actually jump that gap yep. that they do when they quote unquote like tie evil your can tubes. Evil. Yeah, they they just they snip them. They don't. It's not like right. actually right. tied in a knot or something. <laughs> that would probably be it's harder. Like a little bow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it actually the egg managed to, to bridge the gap. And oh get in God. there. And I thought it was really cute. They named the baby Hunter because he sneaked up on them. <laughs> He's so wily. <laughs> but uh, yeah. that. It, do you, it, do you it, think guys can ever appreciate how out of control you can feel about your own body like every single minute of the day? Like <laughs> never knowing, like always knowing I, I could be pregnant right. Like, right now. Right. And it not being an ideal situation, like it's, it's constant. Mm -hmm. The fear is absolutely constant and like it can happen for, you know, decades of your life. I don't think there's any possible way to have empathy for that. Um, (sighs) It's just, it's so, yeah. I've tried to explain it to people in the past, guys in the past to say, you know, the, it's so ingrained that, you know, even if you haven't had sex for like two years and your period's late, you're like, oh my God. Yeah. 
Am I pregnant? Yeah. And it's like, maybe I sat on something. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Do I remember an angel coming to visit me in the middle of the night? I don't remember. But yeah, it's just, it's so thank, thank science for Percy that he contributed to the birth control pill because my God, that gives you some peace of mind, Mm -hmm. some control. Yeah. Because man. It's pretty weird. There's a reason why women, many, most women don't have 12 kids anymore. It's because that was never the wish. Yeah. <laughs> that was never the plan. Never what you wanted to do. You didn't want 12 kids. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I remember, I remember when I was just a, an itty bitty Katie, I used to, I, when I would wonder to myself, like preschool age, when I was like, where do babies come from? I decided in my head, because I didn't bother asking anybody. I don't know why. Mm. Um, why would you? Just why would I up. ask? Adults aren't going to tell you the truth anyway. This is true. So I just, in my mind, decided that what happened was a man and a woman both decided to have one, and then it just happened. Yeah. No, I thought the same. Can you imagine how cool that would be? That would be really cool, which is why I always oh. thought that babies happened always within marriage. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know back then. But yeah, I just thought it was like, oh, now we're married, and now let's. Think and then about, it just happens. Afterwards. Let's both concentrate on having a baby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Bam. Think, think baby thoughts and baby happen. Yeah, no, I mean, I really did think it was like a telepathic, like. I mean, that's situation. that's the dream. I mean, it's like someday to like get to the point where it's, it's like mutual decision time. I mentioned demolition man in the last episode. I'm going to mention it again <laughs> because they have those like weird. He- I've only seen that movie one time, but like they put on those weird helmet things mm-hmm. and they're like, let's just have this telepathic physical like, but not physical experience. Like, yeah, I thought it was just like, mm, baby, there it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's ideally how it would happen is a preliminary meeting. Yeah. There's probably some alien race somewhere or some alternate timeline where that is how it works. And every single baby was 100% on purpose and wanted. Do you Imagine think that what a species different survived, world. though? <laughs> I know, right? I mean, I've had one on purpose. That's true. I know it's possible. But yeah, would, would the population grow <laughs> a whole lot? I don't know. Yeah. It seems like all the like a lot of the coolest people I know don't have kids. <laughs> but it's, and it makes me sad. I'm like, no, no, we need more of you. We need more cool people. Maybe all they can the just cool mentor kids. other kids and make them cool. Yeah. Like mentor the <laughs> mentoring kids Be from uncool cool families. Uncle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Continue the tradition of mentorship that, yes. you know, Percy put forward. Yes. Just like bring other people up and make them better. Mm-hmm. But yes, we all have a choice. We have a choice. It's so cool. Yeah. So thanks, Percy. Thanks, when we Percy. invite him to brunch, we're just going to spend the whole time thanking him for birth control. And he's going to be like, could you talk about like, something other than oh your uterus, please? <laughs> I mean, seriously, can we move on? Can we talk about my anatomy? He's no. like, I'm having a really hard time eating my eggs Benedict It's like right these now. white ladies won't stop talking about their ovaries, and it's so annoying. Yeah, I know. But, you know, yeah. he, it's funny. Like he, I'll thank him for cortisone, too, because when I was having eczema a couple years ago on my hands, it was really horrible, yeah. and cortisone was the only thing that saved me so i'm gonna thank him for that a lot too and one of my best friends has rheumatoid arthritis so i'm sure th- she is very thankful as well oh yeah because i didn't even tell you cortisone what uh-huh. it actually does i mean it's one of the t- two stress hormones like when you're really really stressed out you make cortisone and adrenaline adrenaline we've all heard of it's right. like <gasps> right, fight right. or flight i'm gonna punch you in the face and then run away and then it wears off pretty yeah. quickly and cortisone tamps down your immune system and yeah just like 
that's what its function is. So it's like, if we can just use that, it can calm things down when, mm. yeah, like eczema, when my skin's attacking itself. Right, or, right. Or arthritis. Arthritis. When, when your whole body's attacking, you're just, yeah, your immune system's attacking your whole body and your joints. Like, damn it, immune system. Yeah, there's a whole, like, string of diseases where the body, you know, yeah, autoimmune immune stuff. Defense. It's yeah. just, it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, body, well, don't do that. I... I didn't know anything about him, and now I he's my he's my hero. one of my favorite people. The coolest. I mean, I I don't think I'm. I mean, I'm I'm very confident we have never talked about anybody who had dealt with as much terrible stuff as he did. Yeah. I mean, no one can hold a candle to this guy. And had such an effect. Like, yeah, he did. He had so many things in his way, and he worked so hard to push them out of the way. Yeah. And he gave so much back. I mean, what else do you need to know? Amazing. Amazing. It is amazing. So it's channel also- Percy. If you ever have a problem, be like, what would Percy do? <laughs> He would just like synthesize a chemical about he it. He would try really hard. And then when he kept getting smacked down, he would start his own business and make $2 million mm-hmm. and change the world. Mm-hmm. So yeah, totally, that's all you have totally to do. Totally easy. Yeah. Totally doable. Oh, God, <laughs> Man, can you imagine if, I mean, it's hard to like think back and say, oh, if he had gone to Harvard, like what his trajectory would have been, maybe he would have stayed in academia and never developed these things, or maybe he would have developed more, like Mm -hmm. who knows, but I'm glad that his path led the way that it did, Yeah, but I'm curious how it would have gone. Yeah, in alternate timelines. Yeah, yeah. yeah, if he hadn't gotten stymied at every turn. Yeah. Oh. And I wonder what his dad's timeline would have been if he had gone to DePauw when their their teacher yeah. you know, asked him to. That's yeah. interesting, too. Well, yeah. I don't know how long his grandfather lived, but I hope he lived to see some of this. Mm-hmm. That's that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. All right. Percy. For the Go, win. Percy. <laughs> Yay. I think I brunch you'd have some tofu because he worked with soybeans a lot. <laughs> or maybe he's just tired he's of like, it he's like oh my god he's like please just a plate of bacon i yeah i don't want any plants in any of my food i'm tired of them please please no plants <laughs> well, he would like sit there and explain yeah, all eggs, of the plants seriously eggs and bacon that's he all and, he and carl would have a lot to talk about mm-hmm. you know no like, for real carl would sit there and be like mm-hmm. when mary too they can all just sit down and that's talk true. about plants and we'll just, just sit there and just watch like, just the last three episodes just yeah. all together at brunch but the yeah. plant dream team the botanical do, dream team. I do wonder, you know, we're not we're not scientists. I wonder what actual scientists when they go out to brunch actually talk about. Do you think they really talk about science, right? Maybe it's just like how we talk about work for a little bit and then we just move on to uh movies. It's like just complaining about coworkers. Yeah. Like, I can complain about movies like, too. Like, oh man, I was working with these soybeans the other day. They were just like not cooperating. They were the worst. Uh, I was in this meeting with these soybeans. <laughs> I can't stand those guys. <laughs> they never listen to me. And then I say an idea, and then five minutes later, they say the idea, and everybody thinks it was there. No, I was like, am I invisible? Did you not hear me? Why do you always listen to the soybeans? I think we may have pinpointed why we're never invited to brunch. Oh, my God. <laughs> we only ever brunch with each other. Um, but, yeah. And all the people listening. Yay, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Suckers. <laughs> thanks so much for listening to this episode of Science Brunch. <laughs> Sorry, about, I called you sucker. About Percy and plants and drugs and birth control pills. Yay! Yay! Be sure to join us next time. And in the meantime, check us out on Facebook and Twitter and rate and review and subscribe and anything that you can possibly do yeah. would, would help. And you know what? Tell a friend. 
Yeah. Do you have someone in your life who needs more brunches and more sciences? And we're almost at the end of season three. Yeah. Tell them. Tell them. Because we need more listeners so that we can make a million dollars. Because right now we make zero dollars. Yeah. A million dollars is better than zero dollars. I mean, 2.3 million would be pretty good in like 1950s currency yeah. amounts. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So tell a friend. And invent a time machine. Yeah. And we'll see you next time. Yay.